run as a third party or as an independent without any name recognition or without any um, millionaire <laughs> network backers that it's a fool's errand. It's just not practical. You, you would be irrelevant for the entire primary um, cycle. No media would cover you. And uh, then it just everyone gives you the logic that voting for you is a thrown away vote. So to avoid that problem, to give voters an actual head to head competition, I transparently entered a major party primary. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Liam Madden won Vermont's Republican primary for Congress in early August. He will now face Democratic candidate and Vermont Senate President pro tem Becca Ballant in the November election. There's just one problem. Madden has renounced the Republican Party, and the Vermont Republican Party has returned the favor and renounced Madden as its candidate. Liam Madden is a Marine Corps veteran who was a leader in Iraq Veterans Against the War. Since graduating from Northeastern University, he has worked in the renewable energy field. He believes the two-party system is part of the problem. He spoke to the Vermont Conversation from his home in Bellows Falls. Liam Madden, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Hey, it's great to be here, David. So uh, you may as well introduce us at the start from somebody else who we might hear from in this interview. Uh, you have your uh, son on your chest in a front pack. Who is that? Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, thank you for inviting Wynn to the conversation. This is my three-month-old who is uh, strapped to me often. Okay. Why don't we just start off by clarifying something that there's been a lot of confusion. Uh, first, congratulations on winning the Republican primary. The confusion came when you said shortly after winning that you didn't want to be a Republican and that you might just run as an independent. But then you later reverse yourself and said you would run as a Republican. So Maybe just explain now, what is your status? Will you be on the Republican ballot? Are you a Republican? Okay, let me start. Um, no, I am an independent. I've been uh, very upfront the entire election. Every single chance I get to speak to the public to say I'm an independent running the Republican primary. And my impression was that uh, I was going to do what Bernie Sanders does, which is run in a major party primary, win that primary, and then decline the nomination to be an independent on the general election ballot. Uh, what I did not understand was that Bernie has a pre-agreement with a party where uh, they will not fill the spot that he vacates with another candidate that he just beat. Um, so when I learned that, uh, it was a little late in the game, and uh, it was kind of a reasonable doubt on my behalf to think, the Republican Party uh, is not going to be very welcome to just leaving that spot open. And um, but if they are, then I'm, I'd be willing to talk about that. And uh, by the time that conversation happened, it uh, it was too late to, to do anything about it. So in order to prevent other candidates from getting on the ballot, the candidates who I just beat in the primary uh, and making it a three way race, I am just keeping the Republican Party's nomination and uh, going forward. Just clarifying as I go that I will not caucus with the Republican Party. I will govern as an independent. I said I would go forward committing to my independence. So that means caucusing with both parties cyclically or with neither party, but in, in any case being committed to 
staying, uh, as I've told voters the entire time, an independent in Washington. So that's different than what Bernie Sanders does. He caucuses with the Democrats, same with Angus Correct. King, an independent from Maine. Uh, but you're saying you will not caucus with either party. Correct. I mean, really, the entire theme of my candidacy is to structurally, culturally, and technologically create an alternative to the two-party uh, dominance of our political system, which I, I think is deeply dysfunctional. I think a lot of people would agree that there can be something so much better about our political process, and it's going to take um, a, a departure from this divisive, corrupt, oligarch-controlled, and ultimately non-representative and a non-functional system. So I talk a lot about what my pathways to that are on my website, rebirthdemocracy.com, and uh, you know some recognizable things that people would across the aisle agree with, like term limits, some um, newer things that are getting a lot of familiarity, like ranked choice voting, proportional representation, but some also much newer things. <laughs> um, I talk about things like liquid democracy and qualified democracy. I talk about, of course, things like election uh, finance reform, but also national um, federal ballot initiatives that are conducted online with appropriate safeguards and forums that are uh, artificial intelligence driven to help find areas of shared value and uh, blockchain ledgers to avoid uh, corruption, to make you know all federal accounting transparent. So I'm talking about a deep structural and technological innovation to the way we do politics. And uh, it, I think that's a trans transcendent issue between left and right. On a practical level, you will be, if elected, Vermont's only representative. So it's very consequential, your ability to get things done for Vermont. How will going it alone, not caucusing with either party, benefit Vermont and your ability to deliver federal services to Vermont? Well, to be real, no freshman representative uh, gets their wish list taken care of in Washington, correct? So um, what I think an advantage of an independent is, is that both sides court you, um, both sides probably have things or elements of both sides have things they would look to an independent to be able to be the voice for. And if it's a close house, then uh, I would be courted quite strongly, I imagine, from both sides. And that would give Vermonters an incredible amount of leverage. So um, I, I, I'm not going to be in a closet by myself. <laughs> I am going to be building relationships and uh, finding the voices from both sides that are unable to speak what they actually believe, which is, I imagine, an enormous amount of agreement to a lot of the things I'm saying. You've said that you oppose the two-party system. You think it's a big part of the problem in our politics today. And yet you ran in a primary for the Republicans. That seems like a contradiction. You didn't have to do that. You could have run as an independent. There's certainly a long tradition of that. Why did you choose to run in a party primary? And, and in the Republican Party primary, for uh, that matter. Well, we all know that to run as a third party or as an independent without any name recognition or without any um, millionaire <laughs> network backers, that it's a fool's errand. It's just not practical. You, you would be irrelevant for the entire primary um, cycle. No media would cover you. 
And uh, then it just everyone gives you the logic that voting for you is a thrown away vote. So to avoid that problem, to give voters an actual head to head competition, I transparently entered a major party primary and told everybody along the way that I was an independent and said, you can vote for me um, to represent you. And that's what they did. So I don't think that there's any hypocrisy here, any um, question of ethics. It's a matter of practicality to say, I care about winning. And I understand that the system as it is, uh, the, the power of that system is to is used to exclude independent voices and you have to use that power against itself if you actually want to change things. Hmm. Vermont is the only state to have never sent a woman to represent it in Congress. You defeated two Republican women candidates in the primary, and you will now be facing Becca Ballant, an mm -hmm. LGBT woman who won a resounding victory in, in the Democratic primary. Do you believe it's important for Vermont to end its 200-year run of male-only representatives in D.C.? Uh, I believe that Vermonters care more about ideas and the qualification uh, and the effect of a person running than their gender, and that's the way it should be. I guess the, the, the larger question would be, does representation matter? Does it matter to have women in positions of power? Does that result in different decisions particularly at a time, let's say, when reproductive rights are a front burner issue? Um, well, if, if the person you uh, are voting for doesn't have your views, then you shouldn't vote for them. But I am strongly opposed to the uh, fundamentalist worldview where uh, your group identity, the immutable characteristics that um, none of us can choose somehow become our definition. And that kind of ideology is what was used against uh, Bernie Sanders to call his supporters misogynists or anti-woman by critiquing someone whose policy views they deeply disagreed with as kind of a pro-corporate uh, war hawk who had one line of policy for her speeches at Goldman Sachs and the rest for the, uh, you know, a different line for the, the rest of the country. So I, I am deeply skeptical of the idea that we should um, hold as sacrosanct the um, immutable characteristics that someone has and completely dismiss the ideas and the policies and the values that they're trying to express. What is your view on abortion rights? I f am strongly in favor of people having the right to govern their own bodies. If it was up to me, we would have a constitutional amendment that protected the right of people to control their bodies to make their own reproductive system uh, decisions until there are two people in play. And I believe at some point during a pregnancy, there becomes two independently viable lives. And I think that's around 24 weeks. And at that point, I believe uh, it's reasonable to have the states make the decisions about uh, what happens after 24 weeks. So basically I am strongly pro-choice up until in uh, independent viability of the fetus. And then after that, I am for states having uh, their culture and their political values expressed in their location. The idea that after 24 weeks, it's the state's decision. Late-term abortions are very rare and very serious and usually result, yeah. are a result of very serious medical complications. Do you believe Correct. that should be 
a decision made by women and their doctor? Or are you saying yes. that that's a state's 100%. decision? Yes. The, the health of the mother to me is paramount. That is a, that is a given. And I understand that less than 1% of abortions happen uh, very late term. And, um, and they're mostly for medical reasons. I, I have a three-month-old strapped to my chest. And I know that most people who have a, a pregnancy that late want that child. <laughs> so I understand that um, what I would say is going to the States is an extremely tiny amount of, of uh, actual cases. You write on your website that you encourage people to bypass politicians and you advocate that, quote, in the majority of states, the people can propose or revoke laws or officials through ballot initiatives. Uh, do you believe that ballot initiatives would be good for Vermont, uh, even if voters are choosing to override things like abortion rights, marriage equality and civil rights? Well, first of all, I don't think that would happen in Vermont, uh, those particular decisions. But I want to be clear that um, I understand that we have a constitutional republic and I intend to keep it that way. So I'm not saying all laws should be created via uh, direct democracy, but I think it's important to have avenues to bypass gridlock. We know that Princeton University did a study around five years ago and found that there is essentially, a, well, there is a 0% correlation between whether or not the majority of the population favors the policy and if the politicians pass it. So um, we need a way to bypass that kind of non-responsiveness. But I also want to say what I call for with ballot initiatives and more direct representation of the people is also something that I think would only work well with a complementary set of processes where we can gather the best kind of input from the population. I think that can be done through forums that are supplemented with artificial intelligence. And I think it's important to recognize that some of the critiques of democracy, direct democracy that Plato made were valid, right? It's important to have some expert um, influence on areas of technical expertise. And that's can, also Can I just ask I what, what you mean by forums with artificial intelligence? What okay. is that? So I believe the uh, largest lever on humanity right now, the technological lever to change the direction of the future is the advent of artificial intelligence powered uh, social media algorithms. So they basically can predict and influence human behavior and thought um, with an incredible power. And it's actually pointed in the wrong direction right now. It's pointed in the direction of polarization and echo chambers and the bottom of our brainstem. And we need to point those tools, that powerful technology in the opposite direction towards um, cohesion, social cohesion and empathy and shared understanding and actually finding solutions that transcend large gaps in the ideological spectrum. And I think that is possible. So we basically need forums, right? Where people can go to um, suggest ideas about how to solve certain problems and use these tools that kind of filter through the ones that should rise to the surface because they serve the greatest good. And I think a good technical example being employed right now in a very, very infant stage of it is actually in Taiwan where they have a ministry of digital democracy. So these tools are not just pie in the sky. Liam is smoking something and um, wants to wax poetic. These, these are tools that are, are perfectly capable of being used and, um, and improved upon as we 
think about what needs to be done to have a, a civilization that is employing the technology that will shape the future. Because if we don't in open and democratic societies, I assure you, closed and authoritarian societies will use these tools to be better at what they do. And um, well, that's, me, that's not a society, a world, a future I want to live in. Let me ask about some of your views. You oppose vaccine mandates, mask mandates, lockdowns, all of which were used at various times in Vermont to control the spread of COVID. Why do you oppose all these things? Well, in, um, in fairness, there are senior epidemiology professors from Stanford, Harvard, Oxford, and Johns Hopkins, who I re reference, <laughs> whose view on the response to COVID was that the public health uh, doctrine for decades has always been to holistically view a cost-benefit analysis of the, um, the tools employed, and that the cost should not just be measured in, um, in diseases prevented, but also in the education that might be missed out on, the economic harm, the, the cultural harm, the su suspension and suppression of rights. And I think it's, a, it's just a dangerous precedent to stifle debate to threaten doctors who have different medical opinions with losing their licenses. And, um, you know, I, I believe in autonomy over people's bodies. That's why I'm pro-choice for the first 24 uh, weeks of your life. And to give the government precedent, uh, to give the government authority over mandating medications that the manufacturer has legal liability on, medications that are brand new um, and ones that are implemented with, in my opinion, pretty weak uh, safety monitoring systems. And I could go into detail about why I think they're weak, but these just seem over the top to me. And the opinions of the uh, Great Barrington Declaration, the um, Stanford, Oxford, Harvard professors was denigrated, censored, stifled. And that's a bad precedent. You can't have good decisions without healthy debate and dissent. What about our responsibility to people who are immunocompromised and are relying on the community to help protect them by using vaccinations, by using masks, by using basic public health? Yeah, what, what, what would you say to them? Um, what these professors said, which is that protecting the vulnerable is a more cost-effective strategy than uh, clamping down the entire society. And I would also um, question that these methods of protection that you claim are, you know, the gold standard are really as effective as is claimed. Um, there so, is a reason, so I a mean, you, I, I just want to be never... clear here, Liam, we have a center for disease control. We have a food and drug administration. These are bodies with tremendous expertise in science and medicine. Do you believe we should ignore their recommendations? I believe that, authority should be scrutinized and we should be skeptical of recommendations that contradict decades of practice. Do you and think Vermont decades, did a did a bad job in managing the uh, the COVID pandemic? I would be much more aligned with the expert opinion of the Harvard, Stanford, Johns Hopkins and um, in Oxford professors who. So how would you characterize the job that Vermont has done, Dr. Delvine, uh, Governor Sogat. 
I think the uh, the lockdowns lasted too long, and some of the fear that was um, at first justified was allowed to prevail for too long. Why are you running for Congress? I believe civilization is heading towards some immense challenges, and that the tools we have to deal with challenges are fundamentally unsound. They're not, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln said that if I had to have eight hours to take down a tree, I would spend six hours sharpening the ax. And our ax was built when information traveled at the speed of horseback. (laughs) And how you and I are communicating right now is through the speed of light. And if we don't upgrade the processes, the political processes, the social processes, and the fundamental technologies of solving problems together, of sharing perspectives and coming to sometimes out of the box, but more importantly, just agreements that reflect our shared values, then we can't, uh, we can't navigate these challenges. We're talking about um, technology evolving faster than humans can really even understand, never mind that governments can regulate. So we're going to be running increasingly faster through a forest, increasingly blind, if we don't innovate our ability to have a government worthy of the 21st century. What is your strategy for running against Becca Ballant and winning? Well, of course, to highlight our differences. I think uh, Becca Ballant is an incredibly intelligent and thoughtful, um, big-hearted person, but she is also putting a kind face on a really broken system. And she will admittedly, you know, recognizes some of this and has some sort of surface level thoughts about campaign finance reform or ranked choice voting. But this, the problems go much deeper. And she hasn't really reflected to me an ability to um, talk about some of the the deeper economic and um, and political ruts and um, corruption that really keep us stuck in this polarized, ineffective, and and just antiquated system. So she's, to me, also a little bit. I think she wants to tout experience, and it's more important to have vision than experience to me. If your experience is really just um, using Band-Aids to treat gushing wounds. How will Vermont be better off having you as its representative in Congress? Well, until there's this you know, bigger shift in the tools themselves, I understand that I just need to represent and work for the piece, people of Vermont. And uh, I am 100% for creating the uh, economic, you know, the reflections of an economic value system that put human well-being far ahead of the profits of a tiny few. And I'm willing to invest in our people and our infrastructure um, to do so. So I think, you know, who, who will I be as a representative is a, a very economically populist representative working for much deeper systemic change to the process itself, process of politics itself. Who do you point to as a mentor who we could expect you to be like 
as our representative in Congress? Well, I, I can tell you who I admire. Um, you know, I, I admire Bernie Sanders' consistency of principled positions over decades. Okay, That's now let, just just to be fair, Bernie endorsed Becca Ballant in this race. So, the person who you admire is backing your opponent. Well, let's let's be real here. Um, Bernie probably didn't know who the hell I was, and he probably never would have thought to look at what um, what was happening on the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, he was also probably pretty interested in making sure that the Democratic nominee was um, someone he liked. But either way, I'm not saying I'm trying to emulate Bernie. I'm saying there there are aspects of how he's conducted himself over the years that I admire, and and one of which is making stands on issues before they were the popular stands, things like being the lone voice against the Patriot Act and the Iraq uh, voting against the Iraq war and being for gay marriage before it was cool. Um, but if you're asking me who, who I want to be like, um, or who, whose ideas you would expect me to represent most clearly, there is a, a social philosopher named Daniel Schmachtenberger, who is one of the co-authors of the Consilience Project. And I believe that the Consilience Papers uh, should be and may be the the Federalist Papers of the next 200 years. So if you're asking who I admire and who, whose ideas I truly want to help bring into uh, the mainstream thought, it would be him. Okay, well, Liam Madden, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Cheers. Thank you, David.